uh, I have one story that I actually want to share. Probably my highlight of the conference. Just a crazy encounter I had. I was walking from backstage after one of the sessions, and one of these random students stopped me. And he's like, hey, man, I got a question. Were you at the Minnesota kickoff? And what he's talking about was when Drew Stevenson planted a church out of here a couple years ago, two and a half years ago. Uh, me and some other people went up and helped out with the, the kickoff for the salt company, for the college ministry. And I was like, yeah, I was. He's like, what's your name? And I was like, Mikey Stewart. He goes, I think you pulled me off the sidewalk that day. And I was like, oh, yeah? Like, and, and you still kept coming around? That's, that's super cool, you know? Blah, blah, blah. Didn't really dig into it that much more. But he's like, yeah, I just, I just always wanted to say thank you for doing that. And I was like, oh, that, I mean, there's got to be something more. There. So I went to Drake Epkis, who used to be uh, here in Iowa City. And I told him about this guy. And I was like, yeah, this guy named Jack Miller actually just stopped me. And he starts freaking out. No way, dude, Jack Miller. He's like one of our best student leaders. Turns out this guy was just walking around campus. And I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just grabbed this guy. You know, hey, one, I think we were giving out hot dogs or pizza or something. I was like, hey, man, come, come check this out. Wasn't a believer. Ends up sticking around and coming to Saul Company. Puts his faith in Jesus Christ and gets saved. His roommate starts coming along. He puts his faith in Christ and gets saved. His parents get saved. His brother comes to faith in Christ, gets saved, baptizes his brother, went overseas last summer, and now once he graduates college, wants to do vocational ministry with his life. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that shook me. I was like, that's something I never even think about. I, I, I've never thought about that interaction with that kid again. But I, I tell you that to, one, encourage you like it encouraged me. I mean, that was, that makes me feel like my whole life is worth it, you know? And like God did that from some random encounter that I had on campus. So I want to let you know, God is on the move amongst college students here in the United States. Or across the whole world too, as we're seeing, but especially in the United States, working through local churches just like this one. I don't know if you even understand the impact that this church has on college students, but God's on the move. So moving on from there, Mark and Jeff asked me, uh, to preach this week. They were both on vacation this week, lined up perfectly with, as you would guess, our money talk. So uh, feel free to address me as Money Mike this morning. I think that would be fitting. A couple disclaimers, though. Uh, when Jeff first asked me to preach, he was like, hey, man, you want to preach at Veritas? Obviously, I can't tell him no. I mean, what am I going to say? No. I was like, yeah, sure. You know, what do you want me to preach on? He goes, money from Proverbs. I was like, oh, Good, and he says this. Yeah, man, you got this, just let it rip. So <laughs> that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna let it rip this morning, see where it goes. Uh, I'm gonna point out the obvious. I know I'm pretty young up here. There's a lot of people in the room older than me, but I don't think that that actually disqualifies me from teaching the Bible this morning. The irony is we're teaching sage advice, right? Uh, but I can assure you that I'm consistently leaning into biblical wisdom. I have a great group of older, wiser men around me speaking into my life. And Paul even exhorts Timothy to not let anyone look down on him simply because he's young, but instead to set an example. And I think that by God's grace, I'm on that path. So, and beyond that, uh, as the great Howard Hendricks said, we don't have to wonder about what God would tell us about our use of money this morning. We can be sure because he already told us and we find that in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is look at what the Bible has to say about our money and what that means for our lives today. We're not talking about my ideas. We're not talking about my views. 
you know, you guys don't want that. We want to hear what the Bible has to say, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, the way we're going to do that is we're going to be looking at seven principles on money and possessions from Proverbs. So if you're taking notes, that's titled Seven Principles on Money and Possessions from Proverbs. Uh, I have to start off by giving credit where credit is due. Uh, the outline of the sermon, a good chunk of the skeleton of it was uh, not thought of by me, but a man named Kevin DeYoung. He's much smarter than I am. I thought the way that he organized it and kind of boiled it down was super helpful. So I leaned into his, uh, his thoughts on this a lot. But seven principles on money and possessions. Here we go. Number one, there are extremes of both poverty and wealth that provide unique temptations to those who live in them. That's a long one, but there are extremes of both wealth and poverty that provide unique temptations to those who live in them. Also, I'm just going to provide the references up there and then read out what I'm reading so you can go back and, and look at those later if you're taking notes. But we're talking about money. One of the first things we need to acknowledge is our attitude about it and how we perceive it, how we think about it. So a great place to start here is Proverbs 30. The author says, two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So, what we see here, what we see throughout Proverbs and the Bible, is that it will repeatedly acknowledge the realities of both wealth and poverty. Okay, you won't find the Bible encouraging or like demanding you to, to move towards either one, but it just acknowledges that they're a reality. So wealth is a huge blessing from God, right? And poverty is often one of God's primary means of sanctification in people's life, but they're not without their own unique temptations, okay? There's good and bads to both. I mean, think about what Jesus answers to his own rhetorical question when he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? He says, it's impossible, right? He's like, actually, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Obviously, impossible. Why? Because wealth often brings with it a pride and a forgetfulness of God. It makes us forget that actually nothing we have is our own, but that God has graciously given us everything that we have. On the other hand, though, poverty and having nothing often leads us to covetousness and, like as the Proverbs were saying, stealing, which are also sins. And so based on these two things, these two uh, these two camps, I want to take a few minutes to combat a few heresies that are very common in today's culture. Okay, the first one is called the poverty gospel, or like a poverty theology. So while it's not blatant as in your face as its counterpart, poverty theology says having any sort of material possessions is evil. Rich people, they're ungodly. And if you really want to gain God's favor, you must deny yourself of all material possessions. Okay, you just simply can't find a biblical basis for that stance. You can't find a biblical basis for that overemphasis. Okay, that's, that's taking a good thing and taking it too far. In fact, as we'll repeatedly see in the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs rejects poverty. It's like, don't, don't live in poverty. It's not pretty. You don't want it. Plain and simple, you don't gain God's favor by withholding material possessions. You gain God's favor by believing and having faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that he completed on the cross, amen? That's the only way. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum is the prosperity gospel. 
And I think this one is even more deceptive, even more hurtful than the poverty gospel. Here's the definition of prosperity theology. Prosperity theology believes that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. And that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Prosperity theology views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If humans have faith in God, he will deliver security and prosperity. And I would argue that there's not a more dangerous and threatening lie out there that is in our culture than the prosperity gospel. Why? Why do I think that? Because all it takes is a little tiny twist on the truth, and all of a sudden Satan has his most dangerous weapon in the entire world, right? You can hear him say, did God really say he doesn't want you to be healthy and wealthy and happy? Right? If he's good, surely he wants you to have those things. He can't be good and deny you those things. And I would echo Paul in Galatians 1a. He says, let God's curse. Okay, he's not talking about little games here. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. So wrapping up point number one, the Bible is not prescriptive. It doesn't demand you to move towards wealth or poverty. There's nothing wrong with having an abundance. We'll get there. And there's nothing wrong with living a minimalist lifestyle, whether by choice or not. But both camps bring with it unique temptations. Number two, don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of knew what this meant, but not totally. I kind of had to look it up. So what is, basically, don't compare yourself to your neighbors. Proverbs 13 says, one person pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has abundant wealth. Riches are a ransom for a person's life, but a poor person hears no threat. In other words, if you're not wealthy, don't act like it. Who cares what your neighbor drives, what your neighbor wears, whatever. As for you, I think the Proverbs would say, live below your means. That might mean for you, as you've probably heard a million times, if you need to cut up your credit cards that are enticing you to spend more money than you have, just cut them up. Do it. Pretend to be rich and live the life of a rich person without actually having the riches to back it up. And look, all of a sudden, people are in your business, right? Like there's threats, people notice you, they start asking you for stuff. But Solomon's saying, pretend to be poor, drive the Toyota Camry, you know what I mean? Come on. And listen, you don't hear any threats. No one's in your business, you get to live the quiet life. I, I genuinely think keeping up with the Joneses is going to be one of the greatest challenges my generation is going to face. No doubt. I mean, think about social media. It demands that you display the, the biggest and brightest and best parts of your life, even if it's all fake. Most of the time it is. Right? And it's just making people like, in their hearts, compare themselves to one another, keep up with their neighbors. I can assure you, comparison will not satisfy your soul. Even if you're on like the other end and you're like comparing yourself and you're better than those people, it will not satisfy you. What I think Solomon's telling us in this proverb is to just kind of be quiet. Live below your means. Don't compare yourself to your neighbors. Number three, 
You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. God is the greatest giver of all time, and I promise you cannot give more than He does. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 11 says, One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. So there's a strange phenomenon that we're talking about here. We know it to be true. We don't like talking about it because it's uncomfortable. I'm going to say it. Give some of your money away. Just give some of your money away. You find it right here in God's word from the mouth of Solomon, who's, by the way, the richest and wisest man in the world. And he's telling you, give some of your money away. Jesus and the New Testament authors, they reiterate this dozens of times. It's a good thing to give your money and possessions away, not only because it's benefiting those who you're giving it to, but also it does a strange work in your heart and changes your own heart. Oftentimes, it comes back to you. I'm not saying it always does, but oftentimes when you give money away, God provides money back to you. And not, not even to mention that the money was never yours in the first place, right? That's why you can't outgive God because he's already given you everything you have. What you have never has been yours, never will be. So really you're just giving back, whether to him or to somebody else, what was already given to you as a gift. And some of you have been doing this faithfully for your entire lives. You've just always given money away. It's just part of your daily habits. Uh, and, you know, I want to thank you for that. Some of you are just now jumping in on it. Like I have a buddy in my connection group. We were talking about this the other day. Uh, he's like, hey, me and my wife, we just in the past couple months started tithing recently. And I'm not going to lie. I hate it. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Like, good for you. You're actually doing it. Obviously, he's talking about, we're like, hey, man, why is it hard? Well, because I earn the money and, you know, I could spend it on stuff that I want or that I need. But instead, I'm giving it to somebody else to give it to who they think needs it. Right? Obviously, we have those thoughts. You can easily justify not giving your money away. And he's like, it's painful. I don't enjoy it. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it's supposed to happen, right? At first. Then you'll start to enjoy it. Jesus told us in Matthew 6 that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Jesus didn't say, he didn't give us a timetable. He didn't say, yeah, it's going to happen, you know, the third time you give your money away, whatever. He just says, it will eventually follow. I would exhort you guys to do the same thing. And don't feel bad. Don't put weird expectations on yourself that like you have to really enjoy it. It's not going to be fun at first. Like who, who in the right minds like really just loves giving their money away? If you do, you might be a little weird. But for the rest of us, that joy will follow. One of the things that I... I like to live by it, is this idea that the discipline will lead to delight. Do it first. Discipline yourself to give your money away. The delight will follow it. Jesus promised us that. And this is something we know we should be doing, and so I'm just going to give you some personal advice. You can't find this in the, New, in the New Testament. Don't let anybody tell you you can. Here it is. Here's my advice. Give 10% of your income to your local church, which if you're here, is probably Veritas. Okay, I, I don't 
feel like yucky saying that. I actually feel confident saying that. Give 10% of your money to your local church. That's just a great idea and a, a great baseline for you to live by. And on that note, I have to point out the obvious. I have to say thank you guys so much for giving so generously to this church. I don't know if you guys get the monthly handouts or whatever, but our giving, our actual giving is above our expected giving. That's not just by chance. That's by you guys faithfully and generously giving your money. So thank you. It, it actually helps ease ministry. Because of your giving, Salt Company is expanding. We're able to support our missionaries in East Asia like we just heard about. We're able to jump into God's work in Zambia. You can't do ministry without money. And so you guys are actually helping fuel the ministry of Veritas here in Iowa City. So thank you. And I want to leave this point with a quote from John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress. The character is Old Honest. And he says this, A man there was, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. He that bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and ten times more. Point number four. The Lord hates getting rich by injustice, and he loves generosity to the poor. The Lord hates getting rich by injustice, and he loves generosity to the poor. I got four verses for you. Making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist, a pursuit of death. Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. So God is a God of great justice, and he hates it. He hates it when people lie, steal, and take advantage of one another in order to get rich quick. That ticks him off. <laughs> On the contrary, he loves it when his children cry out to him for help and support, and he's able to use other children to fulfill those needs and desires when his children are generous to his other children. And I want to say integrity in the workplace is one of the strongest apologetics one of the strongest defenses for your faith that you can employ today. When everyone else around you is doing it and you don't do it and they ask you why not, it's a great opportunity for you to share the reason for why you orient your life the way you do. The white lies aren't worth it. The material, small material gains aren't worth it. But let me tell you what is worth it. God's reward and his delight in your heart, your clear conscience living with integrity. Similarly, generosity speaks volumes of the character of God. God is a generous God, so when we are generous and people ask or people notice, another great opportunity for you to share the reason for the hope you have, why you just did that thing. Two very simple, simple ideas or practices, but difficult to master, and when you do, I think they will bear tremendous fruit in your life. Number five, hard work and good decision-making usually lead to increased prosperity. Hard work and good decision-making usually lead to increased prosperity. I got four more verses for you. It says, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. 
Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle, but whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the foolishness of fools produces foolishness. Lastly, the one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves oil and wine will not get rich. So there are very successful people in the world who've given their lives to teaching others how to become wealthy and be financially literate. They teach you how to understand money and the, the language, uh, and they walk you through their mistakes and the lessons they've learned so that you don't have to. They save you a lot of hurt, time, money, whatever. One of those people, if you're looking for somebody, as you'd probably guess, is my guy Dave Ramsey. Come on, look him up. He's a good guy. Uh, he has amazing resources, podcasts, books, uh, videos, whatever, on how to be wise with your money, and he does it all from a Christian perspective. So if you're like, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm new to this whole Christianity thing. How do I think about money? Look up Dave Ramsey. He will help you. <laughs> Um, I would encourage everyone in here to have this desire, the desire to be wise with your money. That involves applying your mind to learn about it, to understand it, to speak the language that the world speaks so that you don't have to make mistakes that you don't have to make. If you fear loving money and you don't want to be a slave to it, that's amazing. Good. Welcome to the club. I'll tell you a bad way to execute that desire. Do nothing with money. Don't learn about it. Don't understand how it works. You wanna not be a slave? Here's how you don't do that. You don't learn about it. <laughs> In other words, if you want to rule over it, you want to own it instead of it owning you, you have to be wise and understand it and apply yourself. Beyond getting out of debt, that's first thing, it's going to involve a plan for saving your money, for budgeting it, investing it, eventually multiplying it. These are all good things. You don't have to feel guilty about learning these things because it will actually help you be a good steward of your money. I'm not guaranteeing this. I'm, the Bible is not guaranteeing this, but here's the principle. Most of the time, if you have discipline and you make good decisions over time, you will become more and more prosperous, which you can leverage and utilize to make a bigger kingdom impact. There's a man who said, I don't make money for the sake of money. I make money for what it can do. At first, I made money for what it could do for me. Now I make money for what it can do for God. I think that's a good desire for us to have. And just think about the Apostle Paul, greatest missionary in the history of the entire world. He had a business he owned a business and made money and leveraged it for the kingdom of God. He was not a lazy believer. Like Paul, a diligent believer is one who will work and will labor for money to use it for the kingdom of God. When God called Paul, he didn't get a lazy individual. Paul worked even harder after God called him. We would do well to do likewise. Number six, Money isn't everything. Money isn't everything. Proverbs lists a lot of better than statements to kind of prove to you that money isn't everything. So Solomon, author, he's seen it all. He's owned it all. He has it all. 
And yet he concludes these five things. And there's, there's more of them, but I just picked these five. Better a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Better to be of lowly spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. Better a dry crust with peace. I'm not sure what a dry crust is, but better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. And lastly, better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. In other words, money will not satisfy your soul. It will not make you righteous, will not give you peace, will not make you more wise, more strong, whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever you're hoping that increase in pay will do for you, whatever you're hoping your money will do for you, is you're effectively making that your God. That's called an idol, right? Whether we realize it or not, we all have this thing like, if I made this much more money, I would do this or I would have this. We know that's not true. We need to stop kidding ourselves. We know that's not true. We all have enough examples in our own lives of times when we desperately wanted something. We like couldn't stop thinking about it. It's what we're working for. And then we finally get that thing. And then like next week, your life is like the exact same. It's no different. I don't know how many times we need to prove this to ourselves, but money isn't everything. We know that we need to keep preaching that to ourselves. Last point here. We're landing the plane here. Number seven. Money cannot give you ultimate security. Money cannot give you ultimate security. Wealth is not profitable on a day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. When the wicked person dies, his expectation comes to nothing and hope placed in wealth vanishes. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the foliage. Don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. This is probably one of the most obvious things to us as humans, yet somehow it seldom changes the way we live. You can't take it with you when you die, right? Everybody knows that. The world says that. Yet our actions often don't line up with that. When Jesus gives us the parable of the foolish farmer, this this farmer, he's very successful. He looks at himself and he says, you've done well for yourself. You should tear down these barns. They're full. Tear them down and let's build bigger ones. And then take life easy. That's what he says to himself. And on the, the night his life is demanded of him, He's not called a fool because he was successful and wanted to build bigger barns. That's not why he's a fool. Jesus calls him a fool because he was so interested in earthly gain. He didn't even think twice about investing anything for eternity. I think that is the danger of riches. They give us the impression of security but no man can buy his way into heaven. Everything you have can and will be taken from you in an instant. 
whether you see it in your own life, whether you watch everything disappear in front of you in your own life, or it happens the second after you die, nothing you have is your own. You cannot take it. But I'm, I'm going to say this. It can ease your life. Money, wealth, possessions can ease your life. They can make you comfortable. They can maybe even, probably even prolong your life. But money cannot give you the security that you desperately desire. I think this is the main reason people hoard money or they covet after it. Or really, if you look at why we have the jobs we do, it is probably tied back to this idea of security. True security, true security. This satisfaction for the feeling that we have in our guts that something is wrong with us, there's some sort of danger coming. We need something to be done for us in order to be secure, to feel safe. You can find that in one place and one place only. You find true security in Jesus Christ. Not money, not wealth, not possessions. And the good news for us is that that true security can still be found today. It can still be taken hold of today, even right now. You can legitimately, genuinely, secure for yourself eternal life with God. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. Stop putting your faith in yourself and your money. Putting your faith in the good news proclamation that God himself became a man, lived his whole life, and substituted himself for you on the cross. That's how you gain true security for your life. In other words, Jesus takes your punishment, you take his reward, his riches, his kingdom, his security. This means you actually don't get to trust in yourself anymore. You don't get to trust in what you can earn for yourself, but instead, contrary to our culture, you trust in what you can freely receive for yourself. It's a free gift, meaning you don't do anything to earn it. That's how gifts work. You don't earn gifts, you receive them. And when you do this, the good news of Jesus, when it enters into your heart, it starts to change every single thing about you. The gospel, that's what we call the gospel, is a whole life redemption. It's not just words you recite to get into heaven. It is news that truly changes everything about you, especially and even the way you use your money. Your wealth can't help you on that final day. It will not profit you on a day of wrath. It will mean nothing. True security is found in Jesus Christ, and you can take that to the bank. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, how generous you are. We can't even begin to exhaust the limits of your generosity towards us. How good you are, Lord. Your patience with us. Lord, we thank you right now for your goodness to us, especially providing your own son to die for our sins, Lord, to substitute himself for us, that we might be made whole, that our whole lives would be redeemed. God, we don't want to be slaves to money. It's a taboo topic to talk about, whatever, Lord. We don't want to be slaves to it. We want to be slaves to you. We want to honor you with our whole lives. We want to be good and effective disciples for you. One of the ways 
maybe one of the top ways you're going to do that through us is by helping us control our money. So Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us opportunities to grow in wisdom, to be generous to others, Lord, to give back to you so that it changes our hearts and helps us see more of who you are, the greatest gift giver of all time. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your heart, Lord. We love you and we submit to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.